Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 204. I'm Tom Maluli, and I'm here with... Tim Maluli. Tim, what are we going to talk about today? I say that in all the videos right. that we do. <laughs> I think that's the first time you said it in a podcast. Though. Right. So we get questions that come in all the time. Some of them are from clients. Some of them are people who write questions in on a message board. And we... Um, the ones that we find online, we like to pull down because they are common questions regarding financial planning, investment management, uh, portfolio type questions. Understand that we're not going to get into specific investment recommendations uh, on a podcast because they're personal. We don't know your situation. A lot of times we don't get a uh, the total profile information about people when they're posting questions online, but they do provide good springboards into bigger conversations about some of these topics. So, Tim, why don't you uh, pull up the first one? Sure thing. The first question for this episode asks, how should I invest my emergency fund so that I keep earning interest on it? The summary says, I have established a solid emergency fund. I know that this needs to remain liquid, but I still want to earn interest on the amount. Where do you suggest I invest the money? I wouldn't go too crazy with it. Uh, we we get variations of this question almost every week, and it, people normally write in with uh, phrases like, I want to maximize my return on my emergency fund. No, you don't. That's kind of like an oxymoron, maximizing the return on your emergency fund. Right. It's an emergency fund, so right. you need to have it if an emergency happens. So this morning coming into work, there was a pretty serious accident right at our intersection outside the office. A pickup truck was stopped at a red light, and a Jeep Grand Cherokee plowed right into the back of it. That The Jeep, I mean, that Grand Cherokee, big car. Uh, that was totaled. And the truck, uh, the the bed of the truck was actually bent. So I think both vehicles are going to be totaled. That's why you have an emergency fund, because someone behind you doesn't see that you're stopped at a light while they're texting on their phone. Right. That's not something you can plan for. It's not like those people woke up this morning or a couple months ago knowing they were going to be in a car crash and, you know, had money ready to go. They need. That's what the emergency fund is for. Right. And so this is money that you have to tap into on a moment's notice. So there is no way to maximize this money. I would have it available in a money market account where you can draw on it that day or the next day and get it pretty quick. Even putting money into a CD, you're going to have a penalty if you need to liquidate the CD, and it may take a couple of days to get a check. That... 
even with interest rates as low as they are, you are still going to have some kind of cost to get to that money. I just don't think it's a good idea to be tying up the emergency money. And, and, money. and again, uh, we typically stress to our clients that you need to figure out your fixed expenses, not your variable, but your fixed expenses each month, come up with a number, and plan on having a minimum of three months and hopefully a little more uh, in the bank as your emergency fund. It's not sexy. It's not something that's supposed to be a cash cow so you can buy Bitcoin or something with the money. Right. And I would say the best return you could get on an emergency fund isn't a nominal one. It's one in a, a mindset point of view, knowing that your money is safe and you need it, or if you need it, you can get to it. Right. So that's the return that you're getting. It's not a amount of money return. It's a peace of mind return. The other thing, if you have kids or if you have a family, you know that you may not be the person in your family who needs the money in a pinch. It could be someone in your family that's going to need the money in a pinch. Now, I'm sure that all of our listeners are excellent above average drivers, but their other members of the family may not be. So that's why we have emergency funds. Good question. We get some kind of variation on that almost every week. Yeah, it seems like almost almost every episode, but it's a good message to Reinforce. reiterate every week. Right. So the next question asks, if I have a 401k through my company, can I also invest in an exchange-traded fund or ETF through a broker? The summary is just a one-liner. It asks, is it illegal to have multiple investments, for example, in a 401k and an ETF? Is this the big sigh? I think it is. For the week? Yeah. Every week, in every podcast, we seem to have one question that just makes us sit back and sigh like, oh boy. Um, I read a statistic... Uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, but you'll get the gist of what I'm about to say. Of the people who enroll in a 401k, 81% of those participants never change the investments inside their plan. Never. They never go in and move the money to the money market. They never go in and move the money more into bonds or more into the stock market or get more aggressive or get more conservative. I think... A lot of folks who are enrolled in a 401k don't realize that they have the ability, they have the power to go in and direct the changes in these accounts. There's just, there seems to be a lack of education on the plans parts to their employees of just not really explaining all the ins and outs of the plan that they're in because these people just don't know yeah. that they can, you know, make changes to their accounts and different funds within the accounts. But there needs to be a better job of educating the participants. And that is really lacking. And I hate to say it, it's been lacking for 30 years that participants simply don't get the education. It's amazing to hear people say in 2017 that, well, I get a 3% match on my contributions from my employer, so I contribute 3% to my plan. And like we mentioned in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, people think, well, 
I contributed 3%. My employer matches that at 3%. So I'm checking the box and I'm done for my retirement. My retirement's going to be all set with 6% of my income going into a plan. Uh, if you make $100,000, that means $6,000 a year is going into this plan. After 30 years, you'll have contributed $180,000 and you'll get some kind of return on that. I mean, do you really think that your retirement's going to be covered? You're going to be eating dog food at that point. Uh, it, it, it's or, something... you know, not as drastic as that, but, you know, that might not be the amount of money you want in your retirement to live your life the way you want to. It's going to be a sad wake-up call, I think, for a lot of people as they approach, get closer to retirement, and they start to see the the numbers that are set aside. It's And there's nothing you can do about it because that ship has sailed. You know, once you don't max out your contributions and then put more away, there's, you know, time's working against you now. It's, it's a real shame. And I think this is going to be a, a terrible problem for everyone over the next, probably the next 30 years. And people are going to be running out of money. Right. It's, it, it's really tragic. I think younger people get a better idea of uh, how much they need to save for retirement. You know, the one thing that I can say with certainty in this industry is that while we may not be able to tell you what the market's going to do next year or even the next five years, what I can tell you for sure is that everything that you buy in the future will cost more. So even saving enough to have the same income in retirement is going to leave you short. Just food for thought. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to link in the show notes because that was a pretty good episode of the Maluli Asset show, the video that we did, uh, basically saying that these contribution limits aren't suggestions. So we'll look for that in the show notes. And, you know, to answer this person's question, is it illegal to have multiple investments? They will not be arrested. Yeah. I can guarantee that. So it's perfectly okay. Yeah, you can definitely have a 401k at work and have accounts elsewhere that have ETFs in them and stocks and bonds and, and anything you, you want. You can also change the investments inside your 401k if that's what this person was referring to. Right. Tim, there's something else that's been buzzing around the office today. Uh, today especially, it's been picking up over the last few months, but uh, we've had a, a breakout, so to speak in the number of calls that we've received. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. I can tell when someone in the office is talking about this certain investment just based on on the, the one side of the conversation that I'm hearing. And we've been having it more and more over the last couple months and especially the last few weeks. You see it on Twitter and on the news. Uh, we're talking about Bitcoin. So we figured we would share our two cents with you here on the podcast uh, about Bitcoin and how it fits or doesn't fit into um, our type of investment portfolios. So I'll start out by um, telling folks that uh, Priceline was one of the hottest dot-com stocks in the late 90s. Um, stock 
don't quote me on this, but uh, the stock was triple digits and traded over $100 a share and was uh, held up as one of the more successful dot-com stories. When the dot-com industry collapsed in 2000 and 2001, Priceline traded for $1. Today, I think Priceline's like $1,400. I mean, it really has come roaring back. And there have been a couple of real winners. Amazon. Um, you know, some of these stocks have done really well. One of the high flyers back then was uh, Yahoo. Not anymore. Uh, AOL. Uh, not anymore. Um, Pets.com, not anymore. I mean, a lot of these investments, and I say that with air quotes, uh, no longer exist. And they were the they were sliced bread. They were the hottest thing going. Everybody had to have it. So uh, I shared with the guys in the office the last few weeks stories of clients clients who we still have today, who called up in the 90s, begging me to put their entire account into America Online, AOL. That should have been our big sigh for the, <laughs> yeah. for the episode. Yikes. Their so, entire account. Their entire account. So we are now starting to get similar kinds of calls where people are saying, why can't we put the whole account into this? Or maybe we just put 100, 100 bucks into this. So the risk, when you're going into a really speculative investment, I always ask people, what is the risk in something like this that I could lose money? No, the risk is you can lose 100% of your investment. That's exactly right. And Bitcoin right now is, is exactly what you're describing. It's very speculative. And yes, it has gone up a lot recently. Um, but the, you know, putting your entire account into something like that is borderline reckless and it's not something that we would do for our clients here. Just to give people an example of what's been happening last week, um, Bitcoin crossed $8,000 for the first time yesterday. And we're recording this on a Monday. Yesterday I was home. I got four alerts. I get these alerts on my phone. I'm about to turn them off. I got four alerts on my phone. So in one week, Bitcoin went from 8,000 to 9,000. Yesterday, it crossed 9,000, 9,200, 9,300, and 9,400. One afternoon. If this isn't the sign of a bubble... I, then you don't know what a bubble is. So this is insanity. What is going on? Will it continue? Who knows? That's right. We don't know. We don't know. It could go to 25,000, and we could look really stupid. But I think, Tim, what we want to talk about in regards to Bitcoin is that the likelihood of fiduciary investment advisors Buying Bitcoin or trading Bitcoin, probably not going to happen. At this point in its lifespan, it's just too speculative, in my opinion, to for a fiduciary to, to put 
any significant amount of money or a client's money into into Bitcoin? There's too many questions that we don't know the answers to. Um, there also seems to be stories of potential fraud going on with this. So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to this, and we don't have all of the answers. Of course, if you wait around for all the answers, you're going to miss the opportunity. But something doesn't seem right to me with this price action in Bitcoin, and we need some more information before we could, in good conscience, put clients' money to work in something like this. One thing that I always like to keep in the back of my mind as well is that we tell people that they need to understand their investments and know what kind of the ins and outs of accounts that they have and funds. The same thing goes for Bitcoin as well. If someone were to call in and say, I want to put all of my account into Bitcoin, one of the questions I would ask them is, okay, explain to me how Bitcoin works. Right. What is a Bitcoin? Right. The odds are is that they, they probably won't be able to explain it. Uh, thus proving they probably shouldn't have all, their entire account in it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one thing that I'd like to kind of combat their their requests with is, you know, explain how it works. Right. Because when it comes down to it, whether it's Bitcoin or an ETF or a stock, you should know how your investments work and where, like what kind of investment you're putting your money into. Right. Same thing with shorting volatility. Right. There's a lot of people now who are quitting their jobs to just short volatility and day trade at home. They don't understand the liability and the risk that they are taking on by doing doing things like Bitcoin and shorting volatility. Now, we should probably do another podcast just on that. But Bitcoin may be around for a long time. I personally think that if this becomes a generally accepted currency, then there will be no value to Bitcoin because it has to trade against another currency. So that's the only way you can determine what the value is. Is it up against the dollar? Is it down against the yen? Is it trading versus the euro, up or down? So if it eventually becomes a generally accepted currency, what happens to the value? If it's something that people are just flipping, I think that that's that seems like part of the appeal to people right now is no one really knows what it is or what it's going to be. So they're trading, buying and selling just based on speculation as to what they think might happen. The greater fool theory, which is really what doomed all of these dot com stocks 17, 18 years ago, was because people said, hey, these things are not trading on fundamentals anymore. Not that there were any fundamentals with the dot-coms. And so I'm going to buy XYZ.com in the morning, and it, right before the market closes, I'm going to sell it up five points. As fiduciary advisors, that's not something that we do. When we sit down with clients, most of the time we're talking about managing money that is going to be used for a college education at some point in the future or to live on in retirement, which is the bulk of what we do. It's usually part of some sort of greater financial plan that's going to help them navigate their life down the road years from now, not necessarily 
next you know, week at the, at the close tomorrow. So it's hard for us to see where Bitcoin fits into a prudent investment portfolio that's built to last. Um, we'll see what happens with Bitcoin. Uh, but interesting topic. I'm sure we'll get more and more calls and questions about this. If you've got a question about financial planning or portfolio management or investing in general, get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us on the web at maluli.net. That's M-U-L-L-O-O-L-Y.net. Or you can pick up the phone and call us. We're in New Jersey at 732-223-9000. So that's going to do it for episode 204 of the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it might take you 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know, and let the team know as well. And you can do this very easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you can do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go over to iTunes, search for Maluli Asset, and click subscribe. Again, it'll only take a few seconds to subscribe, and if you subscribe now, it'll really help me out a lot. Thanks again.